1 John chapter 2, we're going to continue our study tonight, and we're at verses 12 through 14. And our subject tonight, or our topic, uh, comes from the end of verse 12, simply entitled, For His Name's Sake. And uh, we'll see the connection here in just a moment. 1 John chapter 2, and reading from verse 12 down through verse 14. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. Now last week we dealt and considered brethren and brotherly love, and so we're not really disconnecting from those thoughts from last week, but we do see that beginning in verse 12, the Apostle John introduces to us another what we've been calling these marks of grace. And what he's referring to here, and he's laying out in a, in a clear way, but I will tell you that even from my study this week, uh, there are varying, varying opinions and various viewpoints on the intentions um, or who the objects of these characters or these titles are, such as the little children and the fathers and the young men. Uh, there are some varying views as to who did John have in mind. Was he speaking to people in their actual age? In other words, when he says little children, was he talking to people under a certain age? When he talks to young men, did he have another age in mind? When he talks to the fathers, did he have another age in mind? Well, to some extent, there is a bit of an age to be considered, but that's not the primary emphasis of what he's talking about here. Now, what he is introducing to us as one of these marks of grace uh, is in regard to spiritual growth and spiritual progress. Um, and again, don't lose sight of the context of brethren and brotherly love. So there is a direct connection between our spiritual growth and progress in this process of loving the brethren the way we should. So these thoughts are, are no doubt connected. Now, you'll notice that John writes, I write unto you little children, and this is not the first time he's used this terminology, little children. All the way back in verse number one, he introduced this chapter by saying, my little children, I write unto you, or these things write I unto you. Now, we know that when he says little children, he is not specifically addressing infants or toddlers. That's not what he had in mind uh, when he wrote this. But what he is doing is he's distinguishing between different stages of spiritual life and different stages of spiritual experience. Uh, remember, John called them little children at the beginning of this chapter, but he was using that as an expression to take in all adult Christians or Christians who were of, of age. Um, when he speaks of fathers and he speaks of young men, um, he's referring to stages. He's referring to stages of growth um, and progress, not so much age in years. Now, there are some illustrations we're going to use tonight, and there's some things we can think about. Um, when we think about children, and again, we've got a number of children here tonight. When we think about children, um, children are often very much characterized 
um, by the feelings that they have. Children are, are, are very good at expressing themselves, uh, good and bad. Um, they're very good at expressing when they're feeling bad, and they're very good at ex- expressing when they're feeling good. But they're very good, especially in the area of displaying affection. All right? Um, I heard an illustration today how, how, many, how many mothers, uh, fathers for that matter, but especially mothers, can resist their child coming up to them and lifting their arms up, wanting them to pick them up or to hold them. Very few moms can resist that. That child is demonstrating that, that true uh, picture of an affection. Um, so there is an aspect of this to where John is using these illustrations, not primarily for ages, but he is demonstrating stages in the Christian life so that we do begin at a place where we are characterized like children. Um, and it's that stage where our affection for God, our affection for the things of the Lord are very zealous. Now, sometimes our zeal is, can be misguided. We can sometimes be so zealous in our love that we might demonstrate it in the wrong way. But he is referring to these different stages. Um, now, there are those who are older in the faith that he refers to as fathers. Now, fathers, of course, if we think about it in the actual realm of fatherhood, uh, fathers are typically ones who have more experience, uh, but they also have a great responsibility. Um, Not just fathers in a home, but uh, he's referring to even fathers or people described as fathers in the church. Um, Believers in these stages, right? Fathers are supposed to be the example, right? So if if you have a church and you have all three stages represented, you have children, you have young men, and you have fathers, the fathers should be the ones providing the example, not just to other fathers, but providing the example to the children, and to the young men. So there is the stages that he's dealing with here. So these fathers should be an example and they should be teachers of the young and they should be intensely interested um, and in some ways uh, even responsible to make sure that they are an example. Now, they've done, again, all sorts of surveys. And again, I don't always put a lot of stock in surveys, but uh, they've done a lot of surveys in churches, and one of the things that a lot of churches, and I, and I would say sound, doctrinally sound churches, okay? So these would be churches that would, uh, they would line up with us. Um, we would not be in, in um, great disagreement. Um, one of the number one things that they say that they, their churches are lacking are spiritually older, not necessarily by age, but fathers, who are prepared to be fathers in their churches. In other words, there's a lack of men that are prepared to be those fathers or to be those father figures. And, and, if, we, and if you do have spiritually uh, mature fathers, uh, we, what we've seen happen, and, and sadly this has happened in a lot of our churches, we see this great divide between the fathers and the young men and the fathers and the children to where the, the older experienced men are not really taking that much of an interest in the children or the young men from a spiritual example standpoint. And again, it doesn't mean that there, there aren't any, it's just that there's this great divide. Um, a number of years ago, uh, it, 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 became very, uh, it became very in vogue, maybe that's not the best expression, um, for the younger generation to go into churches 
and to really dismiss the older. To dismiss the older generation as saying, okay, the older, the fathers, the experienced, spiritually experienced fathers, we really don't have a need for you any longer. Uh, we need something new. We need something that is more, we need something that's more relevant to today. And there was an intentional push out. Now, that's not the subject for tonight. That's not the topic. I'm just telling you that as a, as a means of, to help us understand that what John was talking about is the same responsibilities and the same things that we are to have even in our churches today. Uh, you go into a lot of churches and you see this great divide. Uh, the young men who we're going to talk about tonight, who John actually writes as being the ones who were in the peak of their spiritual strength, the young men tend to stay together in their group of young men, and the fathers tend to stay in their group of fathers, but there's very little example or, or interaction taking place between them. Now, that really shouldn't be the case. What really should be the case is there should be this example because what John, who John is writing to is he is writing about the, the level of equality that all three of these groups are on. And the reason we know that is because he, he's, he's calling them and saying that it, all of the sins have been forgiven, that it is for his name's sake that we are all in the faith. Now, that's why I read Ephesians 4, too, because Ephesians 4 really gives us a picture of a church that is walking in unity. Now, as we're going to see a little bit tonight and probably even more uh, dominantly next week, John gives a specific and a special warning to the young men. Now, again, don't just look at this as young men being those teen years and the children being little children and fathers being somebody who's a particular age. He's talking about the men, the young men who are in their, they're no longer in the first spiritual stage. They're not little children anymore. They're at the peak of where they should be, but yet there's a warning to them, which, which ties directly into verse 15, 16, and 17, which are the very familiar passages of love not the world, love not the things of the world, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Here's the amazing thing. John is warning the least likely of the bunch about the draw and the pull of the world. We would think that the most dangerous people or the most prone people to the pull of the world would be the little children, the young men, the ones who are actually in their spiritual strength are the ones that there's really a great admonition to and a warning. And we're going to see that that stage of life, that stage of spiritual life seems to be more exposed to the temptations and the warnings of the world. Now, we'll study that more in depth as we get to it. But it's mostly directed at the young men. Now, in the first stage of spiritual life, and when John writes there, I write unto you little children. Now, again, if, if you're interested in this, and I would encourage you to do that, if you're interested in that, and you want to do a little bit of a word study, you can compare verse 1 and verse 12 and verse 13 when it comes to the word children. This, it's not the same word being used. There actually is a point in time when the word children there actually is referring to an infant, but he's not referring to an infant as referring to him as an age, but infant in his spiritual progress. Okay? It's the word infant, but he's not saying, okay, I'm talking to the infants now. 
He's talking to stages of spiritual growth. And there is this, there is this hinge that that's on. It's an interesting word study you can do. So in that first stage, again, we talk about the zeal, the love, the affection, just like when we compare a child. Uh, the new believer, just by way of, its, of the first stage, tends to be more anti-world, more anti-covetousness, more, uh, more about following the Lord, serving the Lord wherever he leads. It, it's, it's the zeal that we see when a person first realizes they're safe. They say, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll serve you, Lord, I'll die for you, I'll follow you unto death. It's in that first stage that that's the, that's the predominant thing that's happening there. That's that first stage. The greatest area of temptation to a new believer, children, primarily is in the areas of doubts and lack of assurance. See, when you move into another stage, assurance issues go away. But when you're in that first stage, you're still battling with doubts and you're still battling with lack of assurance. Again, this is not based upon how old you are. This is based upon the spiritual progress that you're making. And that's what John has in mind. So the next stage that it leads to in growing believers is that young men, right? Now, when you get into that stage, and he talks about that here in a minute, he, t he praises them. I mean, if, if you look um, in... Uh, verse number uh, 14, he said, I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. It's speaking of this, th this man, these fathers have a long-standing experience and relationship with God. And notice what he says about the young men. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. He commends them. But notice immediately right after he commends them, he says in verse 15, love not the world. Because there is a pull and there is a draw that even in the stages when we think we're at our strongest, the pull of the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes become stronger. See, we always think it's the other way around. We think that when you're first saved, when you're first converted, that's when you really have to stand against the love of the world and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. He mentions specifically the fathers and the young men and then says, love not the world. Now, our, our rationale says, well, wait a minute. Why would that be the case? Why would a person who is the strong, who is, he says they're strong, the word of God abideth in you, you've overcome the wicked one. Why in the world would he immediately say, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world? You see, it's the stronger believers, even the young men and the fathers who are most vulnerable to the warnings that come up in verses 15, 16, and 17. Why would that be? Aren't the strong ones the ones that have already overcome? And why would they be most vulnerable to this? And that's part of the context of what John is actually talking about here, that we have to be careful about the, the warnings of the love of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, again, all of this is happening in the context of don't lose sight of the commandment to love one another. Don't lose sight of the fact that John was writing to believers. He distinguishes them as little children, young men, and fathers, 
and urges them to obedience by considering God's blessings on them. So every church, including ours, has all three of those stages represented. Not just by age, but by spiritual progress. Even a church our size has little children, young men, and fathers. Those different stages that he makes mention of, and he starts with the little children, okay? And again, through the word study, you can see he changed it from in the very beginning when he says, my little children, in, in the first verse of chapter two, he was talking about all, all believers, all those that are there, but then he changes it and he says infants or those who are spiritually weaker, here's the warnings to you, the different stages. So the different stages in the members of Christ's body are spoken to not as if their union with Christ is not the same, right? So what he's not saying is your spiritual progress does not determine your standing. In other words, if you are a young man, if you are a father, if you are a little child, your standing in Christ is exactly the same. In other words, the fathers don't have a greater standing with Christ, because we all have the same commandments. Love the brothers, love the brethren. Walk in Christ. Walk worthy, like Paul said in Ephesians 4. Live for Christ. Walk with Christ. But at different stages, right? At different stages, is that walk going to look exactly the same? It's not going to look exactly the same. That walk is going to be characterized based upon where they are in their spiritual growth. Now, I know we think this sometimes, and I, I've, I've been guilty of this. Sometimes when we look at one another, we don't consider spiritual growth and we don't consider spiritual stages. So we may see another brother or another sister and we say, why are they still acting that particular way? Well, because they're in a different stage. Sometimes what happens, especially with fathers, again, not fathers just by age, but fathers, they will even look at the children who are very zealous for the things of God. They're excited about the things of God. They're, they are ready to run headlong through a wall for Christ, and the fathers can't understand why are they so zealous. It happens. It happens more than we know. And yet these stages... Each stage, because their standing in Christ is exactly the same, each stage promotes God's glory, even though they're in a different stage and a different part of life. Um, some of you might be familiar with, with uh, Robert Hawker. How many of you have heard that name before? Okay, well, this is, this is something I'll share with you then. Robert Hawker takes the word of God and he is, he is a, his, his commentaries um, are outstanding. And one thing that he always does is he will, he will give a, a great exposition of a passage and then he will take a thought and a devotionally and he will apply that. With regard to what's said in verse 12, he says, I write unto you little children, notice what he says, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now in verse 12, he's talking about little children as all those that are in Christ. He's not differentiating between whether or not you're a young man, whether you're a father, whether you're a little child. Again, the words change in the original, but it reads the same. But look what he says, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. The little children 
as well as the young men, as well as the fathers, their sins are all forgiven to the exact same extent for his namesake. Now, here's what he writes about verse 12. He says, a babe in Christ is as truly part of Christ as the oldest saint of God. The single leaf on a tree is as truly part of that tree as the largest and loftiest branch belonging to it. And in both, it is the root that gives support and nourishment and not the leaf or the branch of the tree. So is it in relation to, so it is in relation to Christ's body. The weakest, humblest, and most inconsiderable of Christ's members is as much the Father's gift, Christ's purchase, and the Spirit's work of regeneration as a prophet or an apostle. And if you're listening to what he's saying, think about this. Think about how often we can use our particular title or our stage of spiritual growth he, he's saying your sins are forgiven. Whether you're a little child in the faith who is at that first stage or whether you're a prophet or apostle, your sins are just as forgiven as the prophet or the apostle, the little children's of the same. It is the exact same. Now that's why I read Ephesians 4 because Paul, under the Holy Spirit's guidance, said the exact same thing. He was talking about that this body of believers, it's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, that spiritual stages are not a bad thing in a church. As a matter of fact, you're going to have that in a church. You're going to have different stages. I'll just be honest. I did, this, might, this might even come across to you tonight as I don't really know where we're going with this, but I, I'm telling you from experience, I didn't always understand this concept. Where this, this concept where someone gets converted, Christ saves someone, and we think they just immediately jump to the Father stage. And we hold them accountable as if they can lead like a father. They're not spiritually equipped to lead like a father, just like you would never have your child in the physical, temporal sense, you would never have your child lead your home. I mean, I've seen it played out where someone gets saved and they immediately say, okay, here's what you have to do now. Here's, here's where you are if you're truly in Christ. What John is making very clear here, he's saying, listen, whether you are an apostle, whether you are um, a... Um, a prophet, in this case, or a little child, your sins are forgiven. You are on the same, in the same family of God. It's, you, it's a beautiful picture. And notice again how John speaks to these little children. He says, what an expression he gives. Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. What is John declaring? This is a complete justification of their person, even though they're little children. And why are they completely justified? For his namesake. That's exactly what that means. Now, there are those who, who make a false assumption who will call into question the salvation of a quote-unquote little child, again, not by age, Remember, these are stages they'll call into question as to really whether or not they're really in the family of God or not. What are they basing that on? 
their spiritual progress, their spiritual growth. Do, are, we, are we sometimes guilty of that, where we look at the growth of someone and we wonder, are they truly saved? Or are, they, are, they, are they advancing the way that we think they should be advancing? Or are they, are they behind the curve? Are they behind where they should be? You see, the difference is, is he's, he's declaring that this is a declaration by John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that even the little children are considered completely justified even though they're in that initial stage of their conversion. By regeneration, these little children, they are still babes in Christ, right? But they are partakers of the same divine nature. I mean, think about this for a moment. Again, think about a prophet or an apostle putting himself in the place of saying, these little children, in the eyes of God and by their divine standing, they're exactly the same as I am. And you say, well, yeah, we all know that. Well, do we? Do we really know that? Do we, do we really understand what's being said here? Do we, do we understand that anyone who, who claims to be and has been saved by Christ, they are just as washed, they are sanctified, they are being sanctified, they are justified by the same Spirit. So that even though they might be in a stage of little children, they are still in the family of God. Now listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Even new converts are just as much partakers of the divine nature as the fathers who have been saved and were converted 50 years ago. Even though their progress is going to be different. Remember Paul writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, He says, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, Understanding that these little children are not infants, that simply babes in Christ by spiritual growth. There is nothing that will stimulate a child, right? Now we'll talk about a, a temporal, in the temporal world, us as parents and our children, there's nothing that stimulates them to move the direction they should go more than teaching them, right? None of you as parents set out when your child was born and said, all right, I want you to walk the right way. I want you to go the right direction. I want you to make all the right choices. No, you have painstakingly prayed over your child. You have shown an example to them and you've even made a lot of mistakes with them, but you've diligently set them in the way they should go. Now, why would we think it would be any different in a church? That we that our experience, we that have been converted, if we are the young men or the fathers, why would we not set an example for those children? When, when these new converts are properly taught and they're reminded of the blessings of forgiveness by the merits in the name of Christ, 
Think about what, what uh, Paul said in Romans. All through that book, that letter, he declares we are sinners by nature. We are sinners. We are, we are depraved. And yet he says, but your sins are forgiven. These, these little children, these babes in Christ, their sins are just as forgiven as the Apostle Paul's sins were. Paul says in Romans 4, 7, and 8, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. There really is a beautiful uh, picture here that is, that is developing here. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, again, look at verse 13. He says to fathers, I write unto you fathers because ye have known him. Right? This is, this is not just, I have an idea of who he is. Right? There, this is, this is, he's specifically saying, these are people who are spiritually mature, who truly know God. Now, these are not just people by age. You can have 80, 90, 100 year olds who don't really know God. We have made this mistake in our Christian lives. We've all at some point thought this. Well, that older saint certainly must be filled with godly wisdom. That's not always the case. Churches have thought this for a long time. Churches have thought, well, all we got to do is get the oldest one in the bunch because they'll know what to do. He's not talking about age. He's talking about those who have known the Father. And look what he says, known him that is from the beginning. These are people that, yes, maybe they are aged, right? But that's not the primary relationship. They have known God, not just known about God, but actually known who he is. So John again makes mention to the fathers again. In verse 14, he says it a second time. I have written unto you. So verse 13 says, I write unto you. Verse 14, I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. He continues to remind that the fathers, John writes, are considered as having long known the Lord. They've known his love. They've proved his faithfulness. And they can speak of it clearly. Folks, there is, there is nothing that will, that will have a greater impact on a younger believer, again, not by age, than someone who's actually known the Lord's faithfulness, who speaks of it to other Christians. When you speak experientially, when you actually know God to be exactly what he says he is, you have no idea what kind of an influence and impact that has on people. Now, even in a sense, when we talk to our younger ones, when we talk to our children here, again, actually by age, do you realize that if you're one of the fathers, you're one of those who've long known the Lord, when you speak to a young one here about who God is, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize what you're helping solidify in their mind that this, this, this God that we keep hearing about, they connect more dots than you realize they connect. Just have a conversation with some of the kids of this church and see how much they're connecting with what they're hearing. When, when people who've actually known the Lord speak of the thing, how are we going to do that? Well, the fathers have got to be involved with those younger believers. You've known the Father. You've known His comfort. 
Think about the think about the patriarchs in the Old Testament, the names that we're so familiar with. Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua all spoke about the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of God. They didn't speak it as if it was just somebody they knew from a book. They spoke it because they really truly knew that God. They knew who God is. They knew they had proved God's faithfulness. Now again, notice in verse 13, he says also, I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him this from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. So we have all of these stages, all of these spiritual relationships and guidance that are happening. The fathers are known to have known him from the beginning. Look, there is, there is a spiritual growth and there is a progress that happens in each one of us, right? To those who've known Christ, he will grow sweeter to you every single day. The things of God will grow more precious to you as you are growing spiritually. The more you're walking with God, the more you're walking with the Lord. Again, this is why we didn't just jump to love not the world. Because remember, all the context Brothers, love each other. Love each other. Here's how you love each other. Those who've known, you ought to be teaching the younger ones. You ought to be teaching the ones who were newly converted. The more that we are interested in the things of God, the less interested we're going to be in the things of the world. Almost every time I've heard this preach, is a, the preacher will come at it. We'll just start at verse 15, 16, and 17, and we'll try to convince everybody in the room why the world is bad. It never works. We've all seen it. For a moment, it'll grab the heart emotionally, and it'll make children and make young people and even adults, it'll make them zealous to give up something. But what happens is within a matter of days, they go right back to it. Do you see why it's so important when you're following the pattern? Remember, we've been talking about walking in the light, not walking in darkness. Before he ever gets to love not the world, he has covered some, he has covered some depth here. I mean, go, and if you've, if you've missed these, go back and listen to them online and listen how far we've come since chapter 1, verse 1. Before he ever says love not the world. He didn't start off in chapter one, verse one, and says, love not the world or the things in the world. Why? Because he understands that in order to even put those things off, in order for even to have any sort of success, you have to know where you're walking first. See, we get this all backwards. A child, spiritually, new convert, and we're appalled that they still, wait a minute, they haven't, they haven't, they haven't stopped doing all these things yet. So then why in the world is he mostly warning the young men and the fathers about these things? Because there is a tendency to be drawn back into what you had had victory over once before. See, spiritual pride, brethren, is a really dangerous place to be. When you think I'm spiritually strong is when the pull and the draw of the world 
starts to put its claws back in you again. What he's warning us about, we're going to see this unfold more next week. What he's, un, what he's unfolding for us is, is the reality that as we gain and we grow spiritually, we often think, oh, once I reach this spiritual scale, I don't have to worry about these things anymore. No, you have to be more on guard. I expect a little child, right, in, the, in, our, in our parenting world, I expect a little child to want to keep touching the stove. Right? So I'm going to expect a new convert, zealous as they are, on fire for God, ready to run through a brick wall for God, to still, along the way, still stumble. But what do we see? Those that are spiritually strong. He says they've overcome the wicked one. What that means is they're not sinlessly, they're not sinlessly perfect, but they do know how to overcome Satan. They do know how to overcome the world, but yet he comes right at him again and he says, but love not the world. And he specifically is warning the fathers and the young men about not being pulled back into what you gain victory over. You see, we can't overlook that at every stage, whether in children or old men or young men or fathers, whatever standing, we all receive our standing from God himself. But we also all receive our strength from God. Right, The young men here are the ones who are in the peak of what we call their spiritual age. Right, And I would also tell you this from experience. You can be strong in the faith. You can be strong in principle. You can be strong in purpose and get filled with pride. See, just because you're strong doesn't mean that pride's not going to be a problem for you. What is, what is one of the warnings in verse 16? The pride of life. Now see, the young men, the spiritually strong men, will be the ones that will say, I don't have to worry about that. Because look, the Bible says, I've already overcome the wicked one. What is that? That's pride. Pride. When you think that just because you've reached a spiritual stage that now I've reached fatherhood, I've reached the father stage, I don't have to be on guard anymore? No, you need to be more on guard. There is as much of a falling away, a turning away, or an indifference or an apathy to the things of God in fathers. Again, not just temporal fathers, people who are spiritually mature, who simply just grow indifferent to the things of God. See, spiritual growth is not the goal. Folks, I hope we understand what I'm saying here. <laughs> this is not about, I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to fulfill the pyramid, right? I start down here, and if I just get a couple more stages, I'm going to be on top of the pyramid. And once I'm on the fatherhood top, I've got it all figured out. No, that's when you're going to have to even watch more carefully. When the young men say, I have it all figured out. Your strength, and even though these young men who are strong in faith, strong in purpose, strong in principle, we're going to see next week, have to guard themselves against pride. He even uses words, you've overcome the wicked one, you've overcome the world. Then if they've overcome it, then why does he turn around and say, love not the world? If that means it's never a concern again, why does he have to tell them again to love it not? because there's still a tendency to go back to it. Your strength in the Lord is not in the flesh or your own determination or your own zeal. 
but it's in the word of God abiding in you. I love Psalm 119, verse 19. David asked the question, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. The young men, the fathers, have to be just as much in the word as the little children who are just newly converted have to be. Friends, I'm telling you these things partly out of my own experience. I'm telling you these things out of what I've seen in Christians for some 20 years in ministry. I'm just telling you, I've seen this happen. I've seen the strongest young men, and again, I'm not talking about age, simply just vanish. And I'm not just talking from a church. I'm talking from from Christianity. The pull of the world is still there. And in some ways, the stronger you get, the more spiritual progress you make, the more the draw and the pull of the world gets. It doesn't just automatically say, oh, I don't have to worry about the thing of the world anymore because I'm one of the fathers. No, you've got to be more on guard. Again, I, we expect the little children, the new converts, not to understand. But do you realize that sometimes we hold new converts to a higher standard than what we even maintain ourselves? We tell the little ones, new converts, hey, love not the world. Beware, beware of the love of the world. He says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's as serious as as the the, uh, statement he made when he said, if you hate your brother, you're not in God. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. So each Christian does have a certain state, a stage that they're in, but there are common things that are expected of all of us, right? We are to love one another. We are not to love the world. Even the youngest convert is a pardoned sinner. Their sins have been just as much forgiven as the most seasoned of saints. But we have got to be careful that even if you have known and walked with God for 50 years, you are never going to reach the place where you're beyond instruction. Folks, I've seen it. I've seen it happen in older folks. I've seen it happen in middle-aged folks. I've seen it happen in kids. I've seen it happen in teenagers. I've seen, I have seen it all where people have said, look, I will never, ever, ever turn my back on God. And they're gone in the wind. Absolutely gone. I spent, regrettably in some ways, I spent four years dealing with teenagers. I cannot tell you at this moment, no one comes to my mind of those teens that is still actively walking with God. I don't, I don't see it anymore. I don't, I, I don't know them actually walking with God. Maybe they are. 
But I've also seen the other side of that. I've seen what's happened. I've seen how they got pulled. I know some of them got pulled back into the world. And some of them, they're living for God. They're living for the world. They're not living for God anymore. And I'm talking about the quote unquote, and again, there's a problem with this anyway, the strongest youth group kid. That's got a whole bunch of issues already. But the strongest youth group kid who seemed to be the strong one, not walking. I've watched pastors completely fall out of ministry, right? We think we're going to get to a certain place and a stage, and we'll say pridefully, it's not going to happen to me. I'm too spiritually strong for these kind of things to happen. Look, that's why he warns the young men and he warns the fathers, especially these young men in Christ Jesus. Even though you're at the peak of spiritual strength, and you, you're now resisting trials and temptation. You've actually broken off bad habits. You've broken off bad connections, bad communications. Even though you've truly been converted, you still have to guard against the love of the world. These different descriptions of believers are just simply being addressed so that even the, even the youngest, the newest convert in Christ can know that God is their father. But even these advanced believers in further stages, he says that you knew them, knew him from the beginning. Look, we are all called to be strong in the Lord. We read Ephesians 4 for a reason. Walk worthy of the calling, right? We're walking by his grace. Our prayer is that we overcome the wicked one. Our prayer is, of course, that we, we, don't, we don't love the world. But next week, these verses... Again, I think they've become so commonplace. We think we can just define it. We can, we can just say, oh, love not the world. That means I just got to avoid the world's entertainment. That's not the extent of it. So people think they've made spiritual progress if they can just avoid something that the world offers. But yet progress is more than just being able to put something off. It's actually a change of the way we view it and the way that we consider it. So next week, we're going to attempt um, to look at verses 15 through 17. So if you want to read ahead, um, that's where we'll be next week. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, we are grateful that the declaration that even the, the, the newest convert in Christ their sins have been forgiven. And Father, we rejoice in that. We rejoice in knowing that even the, the seasoned saint who has been a follower of Christ for many, many years does not have a greater or a higher standing than the newest saint. But Lord, I do pray that you would help us to remember and to see these not as verses that inflate our ego, or promote pride, but they're meant to humble us. They're meant to bring us to a place of warning and admonition that yes, even the young men who have overcome the world, they have resisted those temptations. They are resisting trials. May we understand that, Lord, there's still a danger. And Lord, for our fathers, Lord, may we be reminded that we are to set an example, but Lord, we also must be on guard. Lord, that we, we, we have to be on guard against the pull of the world again and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. 
and realize that we have been given a great responsibility. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are so very good to us to not leave us to question or to wonder, but you've given us your word to guide us and direct us. And it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen.